0: Welcome to Heart in Art, the podcast that connects people through their love of creativity. I'm your host, Danny Vanderbrook, the UK-based fiction writer and freelance journalist. Today we begin a brand new, exciting series, the beginner's crash course in the major artistic styles and movements spanning the centuries. The Gothic style has its roots in medieval art and permeates visual art, architecture, literature and even clothing. Today, the word emo is used amongst young people to refer to the same combination of teen angst, dark makeup and clothing, love of heavy metal, that used to be reserved for the label goth during my generation. We've recently celebrated a muted Halloween, where the celebration of the gothic reigns supreme, dressing up as witches, ghouls, spirits, anything supernatural. You only have to look at architecture in Europe, buildings like York Minster or in Prague to see what makes architecture gothic. Towers, spires, buttresses and gargoyles. And don't forget the stained glass. Any artistic styles defined by certain conventions or you might call them ingredients or rules that make it distinguishable as an aesthetic. So what are the conventions that define the gothic? the fantastic elements of the fantastic or the supernatural so there might be malevolent spirits sort or of vampires for example the grotesque also features so the grotesque originally meant creatures which are half animal half demon maybe half human half animal and um, so for example the gargoyles on a cathedral or frankenstein's monster in mary shelley's eponymous novel There is usually, um, if we're talking about fiction, an isolated or a pursued protagonist. Well, you could say the doctor who creates Frankenstein is the pursued protagonist. There are prophecies or omens, often tension between the scientific and rational and the supernatural. So, for example, in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Or in novels, the epistolary method, so a story that's told through a series of letters or documents like, for example, Dracula or the Castle of Otranto, which was the first Gothic novel, as we're about to find out. So gothic fiction reached the height of its popularity in the late 18th to mid-19th centuries. It is a genre of fiction that focused on the darker, irrational and more terrifying aspects of life. The gothic novel was a reaction against the Enlightenment, which was scientifically oriented and saw the world and humans as ordered and logical. In his British Library article, Professor John Mullen tells us that gothic fiction began as a sophisticated joke. Horace Walpole, The author first applied the word gothic to the novel in a subtitle, A Gothic Story of the Castle of Otranto, published in 1764. When he used the word, it meant something like barbarous, as well as deriving from the Middle Ages. Walpole pretended that the story itself was an antique relic, providing a preface in which a translator claims to have discovered the tale, published in Italian in 1529, in the library of an ancient Catholic family in the north of England. The story itself, founded on truth, was written three or four years earlier still. Some readers were duly deceived by this fiction and aggrieved when it was revealed to be a modern fake. So The Castle of Otranto is a book by Horace Walpole, first published in 1764, generally regarded as the the first gothic novel. So I'm just going to read to you now an introduction from the Gutenberg Press and then an extract from The Castle of Otranto for your enjoyment. Horace Walpole produced The Castle of Otranto in 1765, at the mature age of 48. It was suggested by a dream from which he said he waked one morning, and of which all I could recover was that I had thought myself in an ancient castle, a very natural dream for a head like mine, filled with gothic story, and that on the uppermost banister of a great staircase I saw a gigantic hand in armour, In the evening I sat down and began to write, without knowing in the least what I intended to say, or relate. So began the tale which professed to be translated by William Marshall, gentleman from the Italian of Onufro Muralto, canon of the Church of St. Nicholas at Otranto. It was written in the two months Walpole's friend Gray reported to him that, at Cambridge the book made some of them cry a little, and all in general afraid to go to bed at nights. The Castle of Otranto was in its own way, an early sign of the reaction towards romance in the latter part of the last century. This gives it interest, but it has had many followers and the hardy modern reader, when he read Grey's Note from Cambridge, needs to be reminded of its date. So now I'll read a short extract from the first gothic novel, The Castle of Otranto, by Horace Walpole. The first thing that struck Manfred's eyes was a group of his servants endeavouring to raise something that appeared to him a mountain of sable plumes. He gazed without believing his sight. What are you doing? cried Manfred wrathfully. Where is my son? A volley of voices replied. Oh, my lord, the prince, the prince, the helmet, the helmet. Shocked with these lamentable sounds and dreading he knew not what, he advanced hastily but what a sight for a father's eyes. He beheld his child dashed to pieces and almost buried under an enormous helmet an a hundred times more large than any cask ever made for a human being and shaded with a proportionable quantity of black feathers. The horror of the spectacle, the ignorance all around how this misfortune had happened, and above all, the tremendous phenomenon before him took away the prince's speech. Yet his silence lasted longer than even grief could occasion, He fixed his eyes on what he wished in vain to believe a vision, and seemed less attentive to his loss than buried in meditation on the stupendous object that had occasioned it. He touched, he examined the fatal cask, nor could even the bleeding, mangled remains of the young prince divert the eyes of Manfred from the portent before him. All who had known his partial fondness for young Conrad were as much surprised at their prince's insensibility as thunderstruck themselves at the miracle of the helmet they conveyed the disfigured corpse into the hall without receiving the least direction from Manfred as little was he attentive to the ladies who remained in the chapel. On the contrary, without mentioning the unhappy princesses, his wife and daughter, the first sounds that dropped from Manfred's lips were, "Take care of the lady Isabella." Mm. urban gothic novel was The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll has an alternative personality Mr. Edward Hyde who is the central character of Robert Louis Stevenson's 1886 novella The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. In this extract Dr. Jekyll relays by a letter to his friend and confidant Dr. Lanyon the process by which he began to separate out the darker nature of his soul and transform into the sinister Mr. Hyde. I hesitated long before I put the theory to the test of practice. I knew well that I risked death, for any drug that so potently controlled and shook the very fortress of identity might, by the least scruple of an overdose, or at least inopportunity in the moment of exhibition, utterly blot out that immaterial tabernacle which I looked to it to change. But the temptation of a discovery so singular and profound at last overcame the suggestions of alarm. I had long since prepared my tincture. I purchased at once from a firm of wholesale chemists a large quantity of a particular salt, which I knew from my experiments to be the last ingredient required. And late one accursed night I compounded the elements, watched them boil and smoke together in the glass, and when the ebullition had subsided, with a strong glow of courage, drank off the potion. The most racking pangs succeeded, a grinding in the bones, deadly nausea, and a horror of the spirit that cannot be exceeded at the hour of birth or death. Then these agonies began swiftly to subside, and I came to myself as if out of a great sickness. There was something strange in my sensations, something indescribably new, and from its very novelty, incredibly sweet. I felt younger, lighter, happier in body. Within I was conscious of a heady recklessness, a current of disordered sensual images running like a mill race in my fancy, a solution of the bonds of obligation, an unknown but not an innocent freedom of the soul. I knew myself, at the first breath of this new life, to be more wicked, tenfold more wicked, sold a slave to my original evil. And the thought, in that moment, braced and delighted me like wine, I stretched out my hands, exulting in the freshness of these sensations, and in the act I was suddenly aware I had lost in stature. There was no mirror at that date in my room. That which stands beside me as I write was brought there later on and for the very purpose of these transformations. The night, however, was far gone into the morning. The morning, black as it was, was nearly ripe for the conception of the day. The inmates of my house were locked in the most rigorous hours of slumber, and I, determined, flushed as I was with hope and triumph, to venture in my new shape, as far as to my bedroom. I crossed the yard wherein the constellations looked down upon me. I could have thought with wonder the first creature of that sort that their unsleeping vigilance had yet disclosed to them. I stole through the corridors, a stranger in my own house, and coming to my room, I saw for the first time, the appearance of Edward Hyde. Gothic art was a style of medieval art that developed in northern France initially, out of Romanescar in the 12th century AD. A French playwright and actor, Moliere, would famously comment on the Gothic, the besotted taste of Gothic monuments, these odious monsters of ignorant centuries, which the torrents of Barbary spewed forth. So in contrast to the burgeoning Renaissance era to follow, the Gothic was relegated by some to the pagan Dark Ages. Anything that could not be explained away with enlightenment, reason and logic was exiled to the realm of the demonic and sinister darkness of the ungodly. We can see how in the gothic aesthetic, danger is always waiting around the corner, and the mystery is often interwoven with elements of the supernatural. When man tries to play God as Dr Jekyll in our story, all hell is unleashed. I hope you enjoyed those extracts from The Castle of Otranto and Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. Uh, they're both available free of charge alongside the introduction I shared with you on projectgutenberg.org. So if I've inspired a read, please share your thoughts on our Heart and Art Facebook page. A big thank you to the British Library and Gutenberg Press for my research. Next episode will focus upon the Renaissance era uh, from the 14th roughly through to the 17th century a period of European cultural and artistic rebirth following the Middle Ages. Looking forward to seeing you all there. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's show.